Amen. Amen. a little piece of paper. the first line was my mom is number or see my mom was voted number one because and then it's dot 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 and then they have to fill in the blanks right and my eight-year-old wrote um because my dad couldn't have any more wives <laughs> while i think it's true it probably didn't tell the whole story you know how much we appreciate you sweetheart so <laughs> now, having, having said that, I, I want to highlight something here on this Mother's Day. You know, it does take more than a mother to raise a kid. It takes a group of people. It takes a family. Uh, there are people back in the children's ministry area ministering to our kids right now. And there is no ministry al uh, uh, all across the landscape of one chapel. There's no ministry that has a more lasting or more profound impact than ministering to kids. So the statistics bear it out. And so it is such an incredible thing. I want us to appreciate those people when you see them ministering to our kids. And the thing I want to highlight today is as we have expanded into Kyle and Lake Travis and some of our team members have gone there to do children's ministry and to make that happen, we're a little thin in Austin. And so if you feel like the Lord would impress on your heart to minister to our kids and to be part of the kids team, uh, that would be so incredible. They need help back there uh, right now with the season we're in. And actually, right after the service, there's a kid's table out there. If you're interested, if you're curious about it, go out there and talk to somebody, and they'll kind of give you instructions. You can always fill out an application at onechapel.com. All right. Are you ready to study the scripture? All right. Turn in your Bibles to uh, the first place that I want you to turn to is Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Matthew 16, verse 13, as you know, we've been in a series called We Believe. This is week six, and we are looking at a very unique phrase within the creed. Uh, and just a reminder, the reason we're looking at this is because uh, the creed gives us an outline or a pattern for faith. And this was written out in 325 AD in the city of Nicaea. Over 300 church leaders came from all around and came together and started to put together what was uh, to be a, uh, a pattern for Christians everywhere to understand this is what we believe and this is what adheres to the scripture. That same council was putting together the books of the canon and working to make sure that every book was uh, connected to the apostles' teaching and to historical documents and what had been handed down. And so there was heresy, there were teachings, new teachings that were coming from alternative places that were in disagreement with what the apostles had handed down about Jesus especially. And so they formed this Nicene Creed and it has been said and proclaimed and um, really has kept Christians focused through many centuries, through persecution, through tyranny, through difficulty, and kept them focused on who Jesus really is, who God the Father is, what the role 
role of the Holy Spirit is and who the church is. And that brings us to today's phrase, all right? And today we're going to look at the idea of the church of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at one holy, worldwide, and apostolic church. Some people would say, now, really, do we have to talk about this today? Because I, I, I'm okay with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, that makes sense to me. I mean, how can you really disagree with believing in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Father's role in Jesus as his Son and the sacrificial gift that he brings and the presence of the Holy Spirit? I get that. I'm, I'm good. Then you ask me to believe in the church. I don't know if I want to believe in the church. What does that mean? What does, it, what does it mean when I'm saying that? And the tension is really, the tension comes when we, when we ask the question like this. When you think of the church, what do you think? Someone were to ask you, what do you? When somebody asks you what the church is about, what do you think? And and it's easy to uh, come up with a few answers, a few ideas: a community, a friendship. There's a, a really some some charity work. Uh, in the first service, some single guy said, "Yeah, I can find a woman there." Um, it's better than the bars. Um, there, there's a, <laughs> there, pretty soon, the word association is going to come to something like uh, hypocrites. It's a bunch of hypocrites. They're judgmental. They're, they're mean. Um, there's been a lot of really painful things done to people in the name of God. And they're, they're going to start listing all of these things. And then, then we get hesitant to say, uh, I don't know if we want to believe in the church of Jesus Christ. The more pointed question is, if the church is so good and so powerful, why does it seem so broken? Please just take a moment and Look around the room and you'll find the answer to the question. Yeah, you thought I was kidding, right? No, go ahead, look. Look at those people. No, look at them in the eye. Look, look at them. Yeah. That's the answer to that question. Because we're all part of it. Have you ever heard anybody say in Austin, like, like in our city, they're like, I, I, I'm not very religious, but I'm deeply spiritual. You ever heard people say this, right? This is a, this is a translation. Here's what they mean. They mean, I love God, but I don't like hanging out with any of his people. Like, I, I have my own little faith in me and God, and we're, we're good. Everybody loves God. Nobody likes his family. That's the problem. That's really the problem. And so we're stuck with this idea that we are deeply flawed and broken people that make up the family of God. It's been this way from the beginning. God chose a, a family of believers, a family of people who would have faith in him, who would follow him, would hear his voice, turned into a nation of people, deeply flawed nation. You can read through the Old Testament the stories uh, of how they left him and then came back to him and were unfaithful to him. And, then, and so this deeply flawed community, and it's no different in the New Testament as, as, the, the, as Jesus and the Apostle Paul are, are, are communicating ideas of the kingdom of God and in a community and everything. You can, you can really see that in the New Testament and the Old Testament, everything in the scriptures was written from the point of view of a community. From the point of view of a community to a community. 
And you might even say, well, what about the letters that Paul wrote and Philipp, you know, Philemon and, and Timothy? And we, we see those, those books. Those were books written to a leader of a community. And the coaching is all about how to live in that community and how to coach those people. So you have to understand that at the end of the day, what we're faced with is life with God looks like life with one another. Life with God looks like life with one another. That's your first fill in the blank there on your message notes if you want to follow along. And so Christianity cannot be practiced as an individual isolated spirituality. You have to belong to something. Christianity is a communal faith. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 16, verse 13. He's being asked, uh, he is asking actually his disciples, he's asking them, he's saying, who do people say that I am? And, and uh, they start answering him. Well, some say you're this, some say you're that. And finally, Peter comes up with the, the right answer. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He was using a little word play there, but he's saying on this revelation, on this idea, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. I, I, I want you to notice what Jesus is saying here, he said, I will build my church. When I was planting one chapel, I remember thinking through, Jesus, I just want you to help us build the church. And I felt like the Lord gave me a little correction. He was like, um, I'm building my church. I'm not so sure about Ross's church, right? You gotta, you gotta lend yourself to what I'm doing. You gotta give yourself to what I'm doing and I'll build it. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus builds his church. But you know how interesting it is what he told us to do? He said, you go make disciples. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'll be in my church, but you make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Essentially, what Jesus was saying is, I'll take care of how the church works. I'll be the head of the church. You leave that to me. I'll build it. And sometimes we want it, like, like in our American mindset, because sometimes we're like, uh, we want to build the church because that's a lot more fun, right? And then we want to hope that Jesus will make some disciples somewhere. <laughs> no, Jesus says, you take care of the people that are next to you. You make sure that you're connecting with the people in your community and you leave the rest of the church up to me. I'll lead it. I'll build it. And as I was thinking about this, it's always easier to critique some unknown entity, some faceless entity like the church. Well, you know, the church has all these problems. And we are really good at critiquing the big C church. And we don't realize that we're actually critiquing the people sitting next to us. Right? Like, like, like when you have to say it to a person, right to their face, it's a little harder. It's called making a disciple. It's called challenging people to live together in community. And so, so talking about this, it's really challenging, isn't it? It seems, in, in a way, it seems very puzzling to me. I want you to get your little puzzle piece out. If you came in, there's a puzzle piece on your seat, and if you didn't see it, the ushers have puzzle pieces in their hand. I want everybody to have a puzzle piece in their hand while we go through this lesson, all right? If you don't have a puzzle piece, just raise your hand, all right? Everybody got one? Okay, good. I want you just to hold that puzzle piece in your hand. Just look at it. If you're puzzled by the church, 
I want you to follow along with me because I think I want to give you a picture because in the scriptures there are analogies about what the church looks like. One is a body, looks like a body, it's all connected. Another analogy would be a building. Peter says that you are living stones, you're being made together, being shaped, right? And so there's a building and then, and then there's a family, which I think is one of the best analogies in the scripture about who we are as God's people, that there is a family of people together. But I want to look at the puzzling prospect of what the church is and what it looks like and how it works. And I think if you're puzzled by the church, you've got to find your place to understand it. You've got to find your place to understand it. So we're going to look at those four words, right? These four words, one holy worldwide apostolic. And we're going to look at some of the objections that people might have, all right? So the first one, one, what does that mean? Here's what it means for, your, for the puzzle. The puzzle of a, of, of a church is each piece finds meaning only when connected to another piece. Each piece finds meaning only when connected to another piece. I think God created the, the, the church to be connected to each other in a profound and communal way. And you might say to me this morning, Pastor Ross, I don't know, I, I don't see one church. I see a divided church. I see a divided church. I'm, I'm not sure I even see what you're talking about. I mean, there's so many books. There are so many denominations that, 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 that seem to disagree with one another and they fight with each other and, and televangelists trying to take my money and there's people telling you what to do and churches just, I don't know if it's, I don't know if there's one. Doesn't, I don't know if this is right. Seems like there's so much diversity in the body of Christ. Here's what I believe. I believe that diversity is by design. It's God's design. And sometimes I think what we see in the church is each puzzle piece trying to fit into a spot that's not its own. <laughs> it's not, I don't know if you, I don't know if you're a puzzle person. Like I didn't, I, I grew up, my grandma did puzzles, right? <laughs> There's no more, bore, more boring afternoon than doing a puzzle to me. <laughs> but there's something, <laughs> right? There's something really weird about doing a puzzle. Like what, they, what people say, like I can't stand the idea of all afternoon going, oh, nope, doesn't fit. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> oh, that one doesn't fit. Let's try another one. Oh, nope, doesn't fit. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. But what they tell me, <laughs> these puzzle people, is they say that that's a process, but then when you find the piece and then it goes into its pot, that feeling is so amazing. You just want to go again. <laughs> I don't know that I believe that, that, that that's that great, but, but, I think, but I think in terms of if we're looking if we're looking at the church of Jesus Christ, I think there's a lot of disagreement. There's a lot of wrangling that goes on with people in the wrong spot, trying to be the wrong thing, trying to do the wrong things, trying to make stuff happen that they shouldn't make happen. Trying to make the church into something rather than Jesus building the church. 
And I think it's interesting to think about each piece being unique, right? It's like the diversity of each piece, that is how the body of Christ is. There are no pieces that are just alike. There's only one. Only one you, only one me. Here's how Paul described it, though, as we look to one another to become one church. He said, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, lest you misunderstand what I'm saying, before the Father, there is only one church. It doesn't matter where you came from or what was taught to you. Before the Father, there is one church. But I think when we talk about unity, then there has to be a couple of things. There has to be, unity has to have some substance. What draws us together? If we, we talked about the wagon wheel a few weeks ago and how this wagon wheel has, has spokes that are coming to the middle. As you come to the middle, then we come nearer to each other. And I think what is in the middle, the, the, the Nicene Creed sort of, gives us a middle that we're all gravitating to, who the Father is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, what the role of the church and forgiveness and baptism is, that draws us all closer together. But in addition, you, I think unity also has to have a certain like expression. And one of the incredible things that I see all over our city and all across our nation is churches working together better than they ever have before. People of every denomination and stripe and color and style of church being willing to come. And one of the things that we've joined in together and Austin is the Love Where You Live campaign. You might have seen the, the, the billboards or heard the radio ads. This is over 300 churches coming together and initiating an idea and saying, if we were the people of God who would obey the great commandment and we would just love people who are our neighbors, if we just love our actual neighbors, could it be that that would have a profound influence on the way the gospel is presented in our city? If we just be attentive to our neighbors, it's an amazing thing, and you've got every, every kind of church jumping onto that movement across the landscape of Austin. It's, it's a miracle when that happens. Here's the lesson. Unity is really only powerful if it has diversity. <laughs> Unity is really only powerful if there is diversity in it. You can write that you can write that out to, your, to the side of your notes because it is, it is such a truth. It's not unique when people come together who are all the same. It's unique when people of different expressions, different backgrounds, different religious experiences, when they come together and say, we're going to serve one king. I mean, let's be honest, in our 24-hour news culture, cable news, yelling and screaming culture, it's a miracle when anybody agrees, isn't it? But here's the thing, we are the original alternative community. We are the ones who want to draw people in to who God is because they see how much we love each other. Here's how Jesus described it when he prayed for his disciples. John 17, 21, he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. This is our namesake, One Chapel. This is our namesake verse. Jesus prays for his disciples and for us 
that we'll have the kind of unity that he and his father enjoyed. He's, he's praying that we will join in the unity of the father and the son, that they'll ex we'll experience that kind of unity. But Jesus gave a reason for the unity. It wasn't just so we'd feel better. It just wasn't so we'd play nice. You know what the, you know what the purpose was? Here's the purpose. You ready? The purpose for unity Jesus gives in this verse is nothing short of world evangelism. <laughs> no big deal. Just the salvation of the entire world. That's what Jesus says here. He says, if you'll figure out how to get along with each other, if you'll love each other like the Father and I love each other, then something will happen People will be drawn to this. Something will happen where people will believe that Jesus is who he says he is. What he's talking about is living it out. So each piece find its, finds its meaning when it's connected to another piece. We're connected. We are one. The next word is holy. If we look at the word holy... Holy has a, a meaning that I think we have to understand. It's not, it doesn't mean perfect, although that is one of the meanings of holy. The most common meaning of holy within the scriptures has to do with being set apart, being set apart from the world, being set apart for the Lord, being set apart for him. Your heart is given fully to him. And that process, that journey of giving your heart to him is called holiness super spiritual word for it is sanctification <laughs> and so there's this journey this process and here's 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 the lesson from the puzzle fitting the pieces together smooths out the edges i want you to circle that word smooths just circle that in your in your in your notes there it smooths out the edges. You know that process we were talking about of trying to fit something in? Well, even the, even the exact puzzle pieces somehow have a, sometimes a rough edge, and you need you put, put it in that spot, and once it's getting its spot, you can't see the edge anymore, and it smooths it all out. That's what's happening in our lives. Now, some of us have rougher edges than others. Some of us need a little more work as it goes in there. But the process of iron sharpening iron is a concept in the scriptures. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. God has a way of making us holy. You might say to me, Pastor Ross, I don't know, I see a flawed, broken church. It's definitely not holy. There is no doubt. You're flawed, I'm flawed, all God's children are flawed. We all have flaws. My flaw... My flaws are readily apparent if you just get close enough. Just ask my wife. Actually, I had uh, an, an interac interesting interaction with a person who saw my flaws. It was a person who came to my door. My wife and I had just been having an argument for like, I don't know, it's like 45 minutes. We were just like, like going for it. Like we were intense. Like we were arguing over a pretty important idea. And so we're, you know, I was bobbing and weaving. She was hitting and no, she wasn't really. She, she wasn't. She wasn't, but she can. And so that's what keeps me on track. So, so we, I, everything was pretty intense. And so we were having this argument and then she left and went to the store, and I was pretty, still pretty kind of just, you know, in that mindset. And so this person came to the door right at the dinner hour, you know, and she was trying to get me to sign a petition. 
and trying to give, get me to give some money to a cause. She was fighting corporations, right? Corporations who were creating uh, products with toxic chemicals. And so she wanted me to read it. And I, I just wanted her to leave. Uh, so and so I, she she comes she she's there and she's like I'm doing this thing and and she shows me what what it is and I'm reading it and she's like would you sign it and 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 we'd love for you to sign it and be part of it and support this thing and so I'm, as I'm signing it I'm like I'm trying to get rid of her as fast as I can and I'm a little intense I'm signing it and then and then I'm I'm like you don't want me to give money do you or or or, or you write letters because I know how this thing works and she's like well actually we are an organization that we're I mean that's how a non Profit works with money. She was so sweet. She was so kind. And I was just like, no, I'm not going to give you any money. And then I was like, no, and then I was like, I'm not going to write a letter either. And then, and, and then, and then, I, and she was like, well, and then she began to explain to me how the system works. And I just felt like, you know, she was pulling me into something. So I said, well, just let me, just let me take my name off then. And I just kind of reached out and it kind of freaked her out. And she got really upset at me. And I was being kind of rude. Like, I was just being firm, right? Like, and, and she was like, why do you have to be so rude? Why do you have to be so mean? Why is everybody such a, why does everybody have to be so, and then she used a really good expletive, expletive and then she started just <laughs> dropping the F-bombs everywhere, and she started crying, and then she walked off, and I was like, well, just let me take the, my name off the thing, and she said, no, no, and she said, why do you have to be so mean, everybody's so mean, that she came back and gave me more, and then she was so, I mean, she was so upset, and then she dropped all her stuff right on the front uh, of, our, of our porch, and then I was like, oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> I hope she never finds out I'm a pastor. <laughs> um, so I just knelt down there. I was like, it's okay. So she, at one point she was like, I'm having a panic attack. Have you ever had a panic attack? I don't know what's going on. And it was so, I mean, it was so sad. <laughs> the pastor gave her a panic attack by being rude. <laughs> So I said, uh, here, just let me get, I'll get you a glass of water. And, and uh, so I brought her a glass of water and a banana and just let me, I said, here, just sit here. You can decompress. You can get, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And then I sat there with her for about 10 or 15 minutes. We just talked. We talked about uh, how hard it is, what she does and how difficult it is to cold call and how, how rude people are. And last week she had a guy who actually came out and pushed her off of her porch, off of his porch, and that was a trigger. So when I reached for the thing, it just triggered it. And so I felt so badly about it, of course, and so I talked her through it, and we, we just talked about things, and ultimately I did tell her I was a pastor. And, uh, and, 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 and then I thought, I don't know if God is doing something here. Maybe this is a moment. Because she really had a thing happen there. And, but, but here's what I want to say to you. And, and, and I, later she came, I, I told her, I said, okay, I'll write you the letters. Show me how to write them and I'll just write them. And I went in and wrote them and then she came back and picked them up and I gave her a little gift. Right? And said, I signed the thing and I said, I'm so sorry that we had an interaction that was so negative. But my experience is that God does really cool things in the midst of really bad things. And, and I think that's what, how flawed people should live. We should live remembering that even in the midst of our flawed moments, God has something in mind that he wants to do in you. He either wants to show you how flawed you are, right? Or he wants to show you what, how to fix the flaw, or he wants somebody else to see how flawed they are. 
He's got a plan. And it is this interaction of God's work together in the community that, that really defines how holiness works. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3.12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Everybody say, clothe yourselves. God doesn't do it to you. You clothe yourself with it, with his power, his authority, his help, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Oh, that patience. What a bummer. Look at Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. He's not selfishness, not greed, not anger. These, these, aren't, the, these aren't the things that mark our community. The community of Christ is marked by love, mercy, faithfulness. It's marked by, by kindness, we are a visible expression of the kingdom and we serve a king who announces his kingdom by giving his life for those he intends to rule. We, ser we serve a king who does not kill his enemies but chooses his own death so that they will be forgiven. At the heart of Christian community is Christ's life forgiveness. That's the lesson. Holiness is worked out through forgiveness. When you say, I see a broken and human and even hurtful church, yes, it's true. And that means there's room for you. <laughs> you and me. You and me. The third idea is worldwide. Worldwide. Now, you might know the creed from former days or in a former church, and the word here is Catholic. Catholic is one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Catholic's just a Latin word for universal or worldwide. So we just, we just translated the last Latin word into English as we say it. And so that's why we say it this way. It is a worldwide church. And I want you to take the idea of how puzzling it is that God can work with a worldwide group of people and understand that the picture is complete only when every piece is in its place. The picture is complete only when every piece is in its place. There's no, hey, hey, there's nothing more annoying than getting to the end of the puzzle and there are no more pieces and a gaping hole in the middle. <laughs> it's so annoying, it's so angering, it's terrible. We have to understand that there is a worldwide church to understand who the church is and to understand what we're really a part of. You might say to me, Pastor Ross, I, I don't know, I see an irrelevant church. I, I don't, we're not even speaking into the culture, not a worldwide church. I see an irrelevant church. I'm not talking about irrelevant as in uncool. Right? There's plenty, plenty of hip, cool churches in Austin. <laughs> a lot of hipsters, a lot of people trying to do hip church. Look, I, I'm not interested in doing hipster church. I'm not interested in doing, in doing anything that, that puts anything on Jesus that he shouldn't have, right? But, 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 the, but the point here is not, is not coolness or cultural disconnection. It is a distinction that we're able to speak into the lives of people because they need what we have. 
That's what a relevant church is. Some people say, well, you know, I, I've been to church, and it was, it was okay, but it really wasn't my thing, you know. Other people are like, yeah, I, I, I go to church, and me and the fellows, we, we grab some beers, and we talk about the scriptures. It's awesome. That's my church. This, taking your backpack and your iPod and uh, mountain biking through Barton Creek is not church. It's not church. It's good. It's healthy. It's spiritual, but it's not the people of God. Sorry, Pastor Marty. He, uh, he rides mountain bikes through all kinds of terrible hills and valleys across the hill country. It's really amazing. I've gone with him once. So the... <clears throat> But here's the thing, we, we tend to want to make the church into our own image and what we think it should be. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Can I tell you that the statistics are pretty re relatively agreed upon statistics. There's some disagreement, but somewhere around 100,000 people per year are martyred because of their faith, their Christian faith, or so, in some relation to their Christian faith. 100,000 people. That's a few hundred a day. Today, people lost their lives because of their faith. We are, we are too far removed from that, one chapel. I, as your pastor, have been remiss by not highlighting this more often, that we are part of something greater and more global than any of us can really get sometimes. And we get this myopic view of our own faith and a, my, and a tunnel vision of how we practiced our faith and we get so discouraged because we feel like, you know, somebody was mean to us at the post office. It's like we have to get a perspective of the worldwide church. And that we have to be connected to our brothers and sisters because here's the thing, if we are one, if we're one body, when one part suffers, we all suffer. We should pray for our suffering brothers and sisters. We support a ministry that deals with the persecuted church and we're gonna do more. You wanna check, check out some uh, different persecuted church websites, uh, there's opendoorsusa.org. It's a really good website that's been fighting for the persecuted church for many, many years. Voice of the Martyrs is a great one. I mean, there's so many great things, but we have to get in touch with it as American Christians because if we don't, we will think through a lens that makes us irrelevant. One Chinese church leader who spent 23 years in prison said to some folks who had never faced persecution, here's what he said to them. He said, I was pushed into a cell, but you have to push yourself into one. You have no time to know God. You need to build yourself a cell so that you can do for yourself what persecution did for me. Simplify your life and know God. We're so distracted. We're so overwhelmed by such little things. 
We have to get a worldwide view of what God is doing around the world. Listen, I've been in a village in Mexico in a little tiny broken down shack sitting on a bench while the ladies make tortillas in the back talking to a really sick man and felt the presence of the Holy Spirit so strong I couldn't stop crying. I've been in Africa, I've been in Nigeria, where a huge church, this is the craziest church I've ever been to, uh, it, it, it had four wings on it, it was so many people, and they had all these people, it was, each, each wing was a hundred yard football field, and the, and the stage was in the middle, and, and so each wing was 100 yards, and they'd do the service in the middle. All the instruments and everything was in the middle, and he'd speak to all these people. It was thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. It was incredible. And the Holy Spirit moving in power and people getting healed. We, we can't. We can't come to church and, and think that it's just a Mother's Day celebration or something bigger. Christian is not an American label, a social status, or a voting block. <laughs> we're not a, it's not political, people. This, we're, not, we're not fighting a political battle. There's a spiritual battle. And here's what Galatians 3.26 says. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Look, the church is made up of people like you and people who are not like you. And, and in, this, in this setting that Paul is writing, and he's like, like the Greeks wanted to get together and talk philosophy. The Jews just like, we don't want these people coming and talking philosophy. We want to talk about Moses and the prophets and all the stuff we know. And Paul was saying, no, you, you are one now. You, you've got to come together with people who aren't necessarily like you. And this is an important idea in our culture in Austin. We have to really understand that Jesus is breaking down the barriers for the church, that it's a worldwide church. And he broke down the barriers between the Jew and Gentile so that there would be one, one new human, one new group of people. One new person out of the two, which is what Paul said in Ephesians. He made peace between them. And there's this whole thing that goes on in the, in the church. Like, are you really one of us? Like, get rid of that stuff. Just embrace people where they are. Embrace people where they are and let them be part of who you are and what God is doing in your life. The body of Christ is people you would choose and people you would not. And the question is, will you invite them over to your house? Will you let them be in your life? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> no, are you kidding? All right, I'm out of time. Apostolic is the last thing. Only the person putting the puzzle together can see the progress. <laughs> Don't you wish, see, you and I, we want to picture the, the, the body of Christ as we like it. We want to know what the picture is, but we can't see it. I don't know if you've ever, you know, you're putting together a puzzle, and then it's the, the image starts to, it starts to be clear, like suddenly, oh, it's the universe. If, if you've never seen the box top, then you don't know what you're doing, right? And so, so we always want, we want to look at the box top. You, the only person who gets to look at the box top is God himself, so if you go, go to the, I mean, there's all kinds of pictures that we are looking at. Go ahead and change it. Go ahead. Look at that beautiful picture. Wouldn't it be horrible if one of those flowers was just missing, right? But you see the box top, and you know where to put the pictures. Keep going. 
P.S. Olaf. You know you're putting Olaf's stomach where it needs to go if you see the box up. Next one. Yes. The beautiful kitties. You know you're making a mean-looking kitty if you see the box top. I would never do a kitty puzzle. Cats are evil. Hey, all dogs go to heaven, but cats are from hell. <laughs> I walked out of the first service and somebody met me on the way. And they're like, no, really, I love cats. I have all kinds of great recipes I'll share with you. Gross. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> what are we talking about here when we're talking about apostolic? All right, I'm not, listen, go with me here. I'm not talking about apostolic succession like in the Roman Catholic Church. It is apostolic because we are protecting the teaching of the apostles. We protect the teachings of the apostles. That's what the Nicene Creed does. That's what the scriptures do. And we are apostolic in our church in the sense that we we protect those teachings. And you might say, Pastor, I see an institutional church. That's what I see everywhere. Just institutions trying to do good things. And Listen, that is not who we are. I hear people all the time. They're, they're like, I, I don't really like organized religion. And I tell them to come to one chapel because we're super disorganized. <laughs> but I think, I think there's, a, there's something more. There's an apostolic anointing that says we're going to protect these teachings. And there's one more thing, that apostles do things that are pioneering. There's a pioneering aspect to what we do. That's why Kyle is in existence right now. That's why Lake Travis is in existence right now. That's why there are more communities coming in our Austin region because we're going to live by the teachings and the ideas of the apostles and what they gave to us, what they handed down. We are not going to become institutionalized. We are going to be a church that believes what Jesus said and what the apostles handed to us. And in that, we are going to devote ourselves, like Paul or like Luke said in Acts 2:42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Look, it's always been our desire to be rooted in history, the history of what God has done, and be open to the mystery of the Holy Spirit and his work. We are a family of believers together. That's what the rest of it's about. You are part of a miraculous and beautiful family. Think about all the things that have been done that are so good. Now there's a lot of things that have been done that are bad in the name of Jesus, and we tend to want to think about those things, but think about all the things that have been done. Think about, think about the contributions. Christians, right now there are about 2.4 billion Christians all over the world. Think about all the institutions that have been raised up to teach people. You go anywhere in the world, Christians are building schools to educate people. If you think about the hospitals that are being built all across the world, they're built by churches. St. Basil of Caesarea founded the first hospital and a huge number are being built all around the world. Charities, think of the Salvation Army, started by a, a local church pastor. Now there's 127 countries where the Salvation Army does great work. 
Listen, we are part of something amazing. And, and, and it's not just in terms of charities. It's in terms of what our world is like. Science has been advanced by Christians. Sir Isaac Newton, you know, he, he, you know what he said? Here's what he said. Look at this. Gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. God governs all things and knows all that is or can be. The printed books start with the Gutenberg Press, which the first book was the Bible. There's this process where God is involved in the lives of people throughout history and the church of Jesus Christ, even though it is flawed, there is something really amazing and wonderful about it. We're missing out if we don't understand that. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads and we're gonna come to the table of the Lord and it's really appropriate that we come to the table at the end of this message because it is where the body of Christ is open before us. The body of Christ is broken before us. The bread represents the, the brokenness of Jesus, the stripes on his back for our healing, the blood that was spilled for our forgiveness. This table is where you receive provision for your part within the body of Christ. The question for you and for me is, will you take your place? Will you find your place? Where is it? You're missing something if you're trying to practice this faith individually. I want you to, I want you to open your heart. Maybe you're separated from God right now. Would you come to this table, give you, give him your heart, give, give all that you are, to him. Maybe you feel like you're just, you don't belong. I want to tell you that God wants you to belong. He's, he's calling you to be part of his family. There's a good father today who's calling you. And we join in that calling and say, yes, we want you to join us as a family. All right. So Lord, would you speak to us now? Convict us of sin. Help us to repent of our own individualism a way of thinking that keeps us separated from others, a way of thinking that keeps our religion small and weak. We want the, the, the large faith of the we, the we of the church, the, the bigness, the community of the faith. Lord, we want that to get a hold of us and we want to find our place in it. Forgive us, Lord, and Cleanse us today as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.